Welcome to Electionary Call-In for Tuesday, July 5th of 2022, where two laypersons, a pastor and an academician, gather for about 45 minutes each week to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for the coming Sunday. And this Sunday is July 10th. Each Tuesday, we call in from wherever we may be at 6.30 a.m. Eastern Time. And for our good friend Charles Willard in Minnesota, that's 5.30 a.m. Central Time. Our little team is working to be faithful to lectionary year C. That puts us right in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, We hope this discussion will provide areas of focus and reflection. And here's how it works. We develop perspectives independently after the lead-off person shares some formative questions. And then in the virtual discussion room, we share and we encourage and sometimes we challenge each other. And here are the folks joining us in today's discussion. Charles Willard. Bill Hall, St. Petersburg, Florida. Sarah Mickelson in Tampa. And I'm Don Upton in Charlotte, North Carolina. And our lead off today is Bill Hall. We look forward to his questions. How you doing, my friend? I'm fine. Good morning to my team and to all others who join us later. <clears throat> the passage for today is, uh, it is from Luke 10, verses 25 to 37. Let me just note before I read it that a portion of this is also in Matthew chapter 22 and Mark 12, where the question from a scribe or a lawyer is noted, but only Luke goes on to include the familiar parable of the Good Samaritan or what we label it as. <clears throat> so the word of the Lord, uh, reading from the standard version, updated edition. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? The lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So, likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? 
The man said, the one who showed him mercy, Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Now, uh, Sarah, I'm going to come to you first in a moment. Uh, My first question, just to give a little background, Caroline Lewis, in one of her commentaries on this story, says, quote, I am not convinced that the lawyer goes to Jesus to test Jesus, to trap Jesus, or to validate his own righteousness. I suspect that we too easily dismiss his inquiry as manipulative or to justify his own worthiness. This was an expected interchange between individuals interpreting the law. There is nothing in Jesus' response to indicate any kind of deception. By contrast, uh, various scholars would disagree, one of whom is Mark Davis, who sees the lawyer as, quote, disingenuous and deceptive, adding, quote, it is a test, not a genuine question, end quote. But Taking for the sake of discussion, and I found it helpful to do so, Caroline Lewis's belief, assume the lawyer's question was a legitimate invitation to dialogue and understanding. Sarah, how is his inquiry ours today? Are any of us fully aware of the intersections that we might have personally with insecurity and prejudice in our own lives? I wonder if it's like editing your own writing, that you can stumble headlong into missing words and incomplete sentences when somebody else edits your work. And when you see it, you you can't catch it because your brain's filling those pieces in for you. I think in this case, Jesus offers the lawyer a mirror, a mirror that invites introspection and growing self-awareness. I wonder what we might learn from someone who loves us, who knows our heart, and recognizes our authentic inquiry. Would we, like this lawyer, benefit from a story that reveals where our wisdom is stunted with prejudice and stereotyping and assumptions? And would we welcome that knowledge, or would the story prompt us to, be, to, to grow or to, to withdraw? And so for me... I think that's how his inquiry is ours today. I think we are still battling um, the privilege of staying in our own lane sometimes um, and only tending to those who look like us, who talk like us, who bank where we bank, who go to school where we go to school, um, and go to church where we go to church. I think it's oftentimes an invitation to step away or step out understand what neighboring is versus having a neighbor. Thank you, Sarah. How might lawyers question be out of the day? Charles? I'm looking at uh, how this is treated by by Kenneth Bailey and he he's a uh, well, he is, he's, he's no longer among the living, but in his present capacity, in his writings, uh, he spends 50 pages or more on, in discussing this particular story. 
and it's uh, it's incredibly complex and detailed. And it's it's uh, my concern is that for people who are not prepared to spend the time necessary to go through this, that simply that, that simply they cast it aside and 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 skip, and skip over it. It's not it's not that way at all. And the the detail with which he addresses this is something that is difficult to imagine unless you sit there and actually do it piece by piece by piece, in which every single piece fits in its own complex interlocking way with the next piece and the piece before and the piece after. And for most of English speaking and and writing and reading people, uh, this would all be lost and just sort of cast aside as, 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 as lawyer, da, 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 but it's not. And I think that we, by by not going piece by piece by piece through it, uh, we miss a large part and simply dismiss it as simply lead into the main point, which is to see what happened when the the um, Samaritan um, encountered somebody who was in need. Okay, thank you, Charles. Don. Uh, Bill Wallaf, who we honor with this podcast taught lectionary class for generations at Palmasia Presbyterian Church. And uh, he usually began this class by clearing the table and saying, the Samaritan is earnest. Get this out of the way. Let's just like you're doing, Bill, let's treat him as earnest. And most, you know, if we, we don't interpret scripture by, by uh, voting, but if it was by voting, there's not much in my notes that says he's disingenuous. It's more rare for me to see someone saying he's putting up to a test. But whatever I see that, I'm wondering, does it really matter? Is the parable built just for the disingenuous, if he's disingenuous? Is, the, is that parable just for the disingenuous? Then I guess I need to play the role of the disingenuous lawyer, too. By the way, I'm a lawyer. Um, but I choose to choose that he's not. My, my choice is that he's earnest and that he's interested uh, and it's, uh, he wants a lesson in the context of being with a teacher. And so for us, the temptation is to stay on step one, which is who is he and is he disingenuous? You're saying clear it. Let's go to step two, which is what is this parable? Uh, and maybe we just say to, to include everybody, every interpretation, a parable for the disingenuous. <laughs> There's something here for everybody. But I don't know if the parable would be any different no matter what he would say. I don't know if it matters at all. So he, uh, I choose to believe he's prepared, uh, he's educated, he's earnest, uh, and, and I think he has the answers. Isn't that interesting? He's prepared and he has the answers, but he still needs to engage with Jesus because Jesus is at hand. There's a lesson there, too. Uh, so why, why does it matter to uh, our inquiry today? Uh, I'll, I'll leap to some assumptions, maybe right, maybe wrong. Uh, I don't think this story, the way it's told right here today, is about the absence of empathy. I don't think it's necessarily about a callous world. I don't think it's about those that are neighbors and those that are not. I think these are the, Jesus is putting out a, a day with particular circumstances for particular people, even though he made it up as a story. Uh, and that it's more about life being complicated. Uh, and it's more about suffering abounding. And it's more about on any given minute, 
on any given day, change can happen. Tragedy, harm. I mean, today is July 5th of 2022. For those listening years later, <laughs> someone chooses to. This is the day after yet another tragic shooting uh, north of uh, Chicago. Uh, there's a war in Ukraine. Things change every day. And I think Christ is making these incredibly personal. Uh, and then uh, the dimensions of humanity are vast. The concept of neighbor uh, is being torqued and disori- dis- disoriented for us. And I think Jesus is meant to bring the concept of neighbor to ground, which your, your questions you're going to follow up with, Bill, Bill I think, uh, take it to that. And I've got an opinion on that. But I don't know if this is even about a callous world. Uh, this is about change and, and the personal nature of, of suffering and tragedy. Uh, so that's why I think there's something in it for all of us. Thanks, Bill. Thank you, Don. And uh, Charles, thank you for the reminder of uh, Kenneth Bailey. I read that some years ago, so you prompted me to get that material and read it again. And I hope in the remainder of this podcast you will add any insights from that 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 can be helpful one quick observation and then i will share my response to my own question Um, to me a part of this story is that the lawyer looks ahead to the future how can i know that i will have eternal life and jesus brings it down to the here and now um with the the story of the samaritan and the man who was harmed um so that that to me is a critical part of the movement in this story and i would say that this is relevant because how we define neighbor is critically important in today's world leading me to assume that this question was just as pressing in the time of jesus as it is now for example and my um, illustrations will indicate some of my concerns and where my energy is going now. NIMBY, not in my backyard. Um, I am involved in several programs that seek to address affordable housing, which means we're providing housing for low-income people. And at least at times, there are challenges and conflict by people saying, I don't want those people in my neighborhood. I'm afraid they will drop my um, property values. Another version of that, the government is encouraging in terms of affordable housing, mo- and I think there are several terms, but the one I hear the most is mixed-use housing. That means there may be an apartment building, Uh, maybe the majority are people pay the full amount and then on a sliding scale other lower income people move in uh, as I understand it they're not identified as low income the idea being that that mixed use housing will encourage all of them uh, to grow Uh, there have been some problems when they had placed all very low-income people in one uh, facility. Another example (laughs) is immigration. Um, And another, Don, relevant to your noting that yesterday 
There was a shooting in um, a high-income community north of Chicago. Is this management of the ownership of firearms? You know, the question I think that people are asking, are my personal and private rights more important than caring about my neighbors by a rational policy about possessing firearms? It surprises me that even the most avid advocate of no gun control seem to have no problem with the government requiring driver's licenses and vehicle ownership. Why do we do that? For the sake of the greater good, for the sake of the public's safety. Um, so um, it is our question, who is the neighbor? And then uh, I'll end with this. He asks about eternal life. It strikes me that that question is asking, what in my life now makes a difference beyond this life? What do I do now that assures me of what my life will be after this life? Now, I'll leave it there. I just think it raises that question. All right. Thank you, team members. Uh, Question number two. Imagine that you have the task of writing a story in today's context. What person or persons would you choose to represent the Samaritan and, if possible, offer a brief outline for how you would develop the story? And before I call on someone, I will note that I I struggle with this, how to legitimately frame it in today's world. Charles, I'll go first to you. I have no contribution. Okay. Um, Don. Uh, first, in a friendly dispute, I'll go no fair to ask me to overwrite uh, uh, the Christ story, who has put that out there. So no fair. Uh, I cannot do that very well, but I do understand, and I will play. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, I think uh, – my my, uh, my read on this the past few years is about uh, the neighbor being in the field of vision, that there are other responsibilities uh, in the Christian walk that we have related to larger populations, people we cannot see, other nations, other people, other crises, public policy that may or may not touch somebody that I never meet again. And, I, and, there, and I'm not saying there isn't a role in that to think that way. But I believe that the neighbor is a field of vision, that this comes into proximity. You may not know that person, uh, but until they actually are within your field of vision, that, that doesn't qualify to answer the question. So that's, that's my personal uh, philosophy about how that, how that works. So you ask about a particular story. Uh, again, I'll go, no fair, because <laughs> I can't go there, because Jesus pulls together so many pieces into this. Uh, and, and so I can only choose to pick up some pieces of it with my example. So I would choose today to go with extreme generational wealth in terms of some of the characters uh, and, and someone that may be at a distance from there. 
and I would add to that uh, uh, other agendas that are going on. So when I say wealth extreme, I'm not putting these people into the story. I'm just going to use the names as an ex- example of the extreme, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, uh, Alice Wal- Walton, Mark Zuckerberg, Larry Page, Mackenzie Scott, that. And so what I would do, and I'm not telling the story, I'm just going to give you the, the architecture of it, is I would have uh, characters uh, with that extreme wealth uh, gathered at a hotel, probably in midtown Manhattan, uh, going to uh, some meeting of economics uh, about the future of market forces, uh, maybe the meetings over at the UN, uh, they're on tight schedules and they're moving through the hotel and there are three of them. They're working independently and they're asked to go through the basement to go out the back door uh, in order to get to the conference that they're attending. Uh, they're all put together. Uh, they're ready to go. They're earnest. Uh, they have things to do. They have things to say. They have speeches to give. They have notes to make. Uh, they have friends to meet. Uh, the media may be waiting for them, uh, but they need to go out through uh, the, uh, the basement of the, of the hotel, uh, and they go one by one. Uh, and there's uh, someone, and as you pass by, there's an old boiler room at the bottom of the New York Hotel, and there's uh, two feet sticking out, or shoes knocked off. Obviously, somebody is either asleep or harmed or, or uh, has passed out, uh, and they pass it. So the structure of it would be, each one walking past and one turning towards the figure and helping, but being alone, the last out, in the dark, alone, and finding someone actually that has been terribly harmed uh, who is uh, very different than they are. I would do something simple like that. I first thought, Bill, I would do one at an airport gate because I've seen, actually seen people in terrible distress at airport gates, and I've witnessed people actually passing away. Uh, dying at an airport gate, but there's too many people to rescue. So I take it to a boiler room and the the bottom of a hotel as people are moving on. Uh, Just quick, there's another angle you could take, and I'm just sending out kudos to a pastor named Nikki Zimmerman who preached on this uh, on Sunday as a response to questions from the congregation about wanting a message about technology and faith. And and that meant she she was emphasizing uh, the god of technology and social media overwhelming our sight, but also just plain speed, who's in a hurry and who's not, which I like because it kind of took out, it took out callous world and focused on just speed and urgency is something that affects our lives. So I, I add a little bit of speed there to, uh, to, to just honor a really profound sermon about technology and faith. So that's the basic structure I would put on the story, Bill. Thank you, Don, and I accept your comment that this isn't fair. <laughs> That's part of why I struggled with it, um, but I, I agree with you. So, Sarah, how would you respond to this unfair question? Um, so I stepped back and said, is it me today who asks the question? Today, could it be me who's beaten up and left for dead? Or might it be someone God would want me to help? Today, could it be me who walks by, um, who is hamstringed or unwilling to help because of social political differences or religious systems? Today, could it be me who helps? Or might it be someone from whom help would be hard for me to accept? Um, So I I dodged your question because, you know, it was really hard. 
And um, I didn't spend a lot of time in the creative space to consider, like Don did, which is really, I want to hear more of that story, Don. Um, The story, how it might be retold um, today. So I I didn't play with casting and I didn't go with stereotypes or, or things like that because I've been working to dismantle those in my own thinking. And so it was really hard to go back to that and go, um, could the Samaritan be a Jeff Bezos? Could the Samaritan be, um, you know, someone completely imbued with wealth, imbued with power, but beaten and left for dead and helped by the homeless man, which would have been, you know, a ni- or homeless woman. Could have been that nice stereotype, and we could have played that out. Um, could the story have been um, a woman who had been raped and dead and is confronted with the aftermath of that and had to struggle with what to do health-wise um, in a place and time where uh, health care and a woman's body seemed to be a very public place to have a dialogue. Um, who would the Samaritan be that would support that transition for that person? Um, I couldn't come to a determination. I, I, the other thing that I walked around was this, difference in religious thinking. Could the person that's beaten and left for dead be um, a Christian in a Muslim country? Could, you know, which I think is a stereotype we've played in a lot, and I don't really want to go back to that and go, there's still stuff there we haven't talked about, except to say that prejudice and stereotyping and assumptions still persist. And there are safety corners. They're like places we can run to and be and cling to and, and, and say, oh, but you're different from me. And unfortunately, Jesus reminds us that um, we're not different. We're, we are all in need. We are all in need of a neighbor. Thank you, Sarah. Um, this story focuses on the actual challenge of following the two most important commandments, namely love God and love others. Nice sentiments, but in fact they can be deeply difficult to do. And it seems to me Jesus defines neighbor by what the person does when seeing a need. And it's interesting to me the victim in this, the man harmed, is voiceless except for the Samaritan. And we remember that in the previous chapter in Luke, a Samaritan village had rejected Jesus, prompting James and John to ask if Jesus wanted fire to rain down on the villagers. So in the larger context of Luke, we've been set up to see the Samaritans as the the enemy. Um, and uh, here the hero is... Um, a Samaritan. Now, taking Don's observation to heart and agreeing with us that this isn't fair, I, I, I came up with what is, I think, an exaggerated example, but it, for me, illustrates in the here and now some possible application. Imagine a wealthy white male member of Congress is driving alone at night and becomes stranded on a remote country road without cell phone coverage. Thus, he can't call road service. 
this congressperson is a leader uh, in opposing any form of immigration reform. Headlights appear, and the truck pulls over a battered truck, and in the truck is an illegal Mexican alien. Um, his family is with him. He's headed to the next town where he's heard there's day work available. He stops and offers to help. And because he's had to do his own car repairs, he is able to restart the car and send the congressperson on his way. Now, admittedly, that's exaggerated. But it gets at a very real issue. I've already said in an earlier response that I think immigration is around the question of who is my neighbor. And by Jesus' definition, the neighbor is the one who acts compassionately toward a neighbor. There's a sort of a double meaning of neighbor here. The neighbor is somebody near me, but I am the neighbor when I see a need and seek to meet a need. Um, I, I, I'm going to stop in just a moment because I don't really know quite more to say about what I'm getting at in this, except that there's a deep irony that people we most fear Maybe at times the ones best in a position and equipped to help us. I find that a kind of a staggering uh, concept. What would happen in our individual lives, our family, community, nation, world, especially if leaders took to heart what might there be in a person or a group that I most fear that what do they have to offer that would serve my need? I don't know. I'll leave it there for the moment. And we'll move to question three. At the close of Jesus' story, the lawyer acknowledges that the neighbor was the one who showed mercy to the wounded man. Jesus then concludes by saying to the lawyer, go and do likewise. That's the last line of this passage. My question is, how do we see people today doing likewise? And how am I, how are we doing likewise? Now, next week, the Luke passage we look at will be the familiar Martha Mary story, uh, which, again, at least in part, is about priorities, being aware of and responsive to the present circumstances and needs, uh, that is, the capacity to suspend one's own preferences and priorities for the sake of all who are present in that moment. And Sarah will lead us through that, and I look forward to that discussion. This week on Working Preacher, Matt Skinner reminded me of a section in Martin Luther King's last speech. I have been to the mountaintop speech. Um, and in toward the end of that speech, 
Martin Luther King refers to this passage, to this story that we've labeled the Good Samaritan. And King expanded uh, beyond acting for the sake of one individual, as significant as that is. He expanded it to a wider scale, asking how segregation harmed not only blacks but also whites and how specifically the treatment of sanitation workers impacted the whole of society. And in this, King says, and I'll read a portion of this, and so the first question that the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But then the Good Samaritan came by, and he reversed the question, asking, if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? That is the question before you tonight, not if I stop to help the sanitation workers, what will happen to all of the hours that I usually spend in my office and every day and every week as a pastor? The question is not if I stop to help this man in need, what will happen to me? If I do not stop to help the sanitation workers, what will happen to them? That is the question. Um, so King expanded it beyond the individual in the Samaritan story to how it impacts the whole of society. The lawyer asked about his own personal salvation. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus did minister to lone individuals, as we are, but also the spirit of Jesus Christ inspires us to, to work for the greater good. I would say even the spirit of Christ impels us to work for changes in the greater society that will lead us closer to liberty and justice for all, which we celebrated yesterday with the Declaration of Independence, 4th of July. Um, we've noted before, I am involved in Pinellas County in FAST, which works for social justice. Palmasia Presbyterian Church is a member of HOPE in Hillsborough County. We specifically work on research and going to public officials who have the capacity to make a difference for not just one person, but for many people and affordable housing, criminal justice, uh, and, and other issues. So um, how do we do that? Um, I, it varies, of course, but for me, it's been helpful not only to work for individual need meeting, but to work with others to impact the larger society. Um, Sarah. Jesus very clearly presents us with a vivid and detailed example of what it means to be a neighbor. How might we care for each other and receive care from others? When the need is apparent, it seems easy to be a neighbor to me. However, when the need for a neighbor is disguised, masked by anger or fueled by non-facts or defiant, 
I fail to be a neighbor over and over again. So I think those are my weaknesses. I get blinded by anger, defiance, um, people who are, are hold opposing facts to what I understand the facts to be. And and I think the essential question you've uncovered it, Bill, is if I don't act, what will happen? If my failure to engage um, stops the kingdom of heaven from expanding, then then I haven't done what I'm called to do. I think that's the the underlying um, gut punch, if there is such a thing here. Um, I think it's a decision for me to make in every situation. Jesus is saying, are you following me? Or are you um, going to let something slow you down and distract you? So I think this neighboring business is 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 a call to action on our part, and it's also um, a challenge on a regular basis because the people that need to be neighbored are not always neighborly or neighbor-like. Right. Thank you, Sarah. And I just remembered... Matt Skinner went on to end his comments by saying, we might also ask, if I don't act, what is that doing to me? What am I saying about myself? So Jesus' command to the lawyer and to us, Charles, is go and do likewise. How does that happen today? And how do you see yourself in that? Um. I find myself in a very peculiar setting, Um, living where I do with my wife uh, in in an assisted living slash independent living slash um, memory care unit. Um, I find myself very isolated from the world, um, I have, you will find this, I, I think, you will find this a startling, um, I was going to say confession, I'm not sure that's the right word, admission, acknowledgement, uh, simply a statement. Um, I have not been out of my house, my, 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 my living area, uh, in the last three weeks, month, more, except to go to a uh, dentist's office. Otherwise, I have been inside and basically inside my apartment. And it's a very strange difference. Um, I'm related to some of the people in, in, the, in this uh, building. It's, it's now got over 100 new residents who moved here in the last year. Some moved out. It's a strange way it works around here. But I, I find myself really cut off from the, the rest of the world. It's, just, it's, 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 it's a new, partly it's because of where we are, but partly it's also a, a reorientation of my um, independence to a recognition of my responsibility for my wife and the way that works out. It's just a very new and um, startling and puzzling change in my, you know, where I go, what I do, who I talk to, who I don't talk to, who I don't see. It's just, it's, it's just a, a radical shift 
which is one of the reasons that I've been I've been I've had so little to say in the last six months or more. Charles, thank you for that. Um, you illustrate that everybody's circumstances are different, and within the that individual context, there are many different ways to serve, and obviously you are uh, serving your wife very caringly, and I admire you for that and commend you, and thank you for sharing that. Don, go and do likewise. What do you make of that? Thank you. First, uh, uh, going back to what Sarah is talking about, emphasizing stereotypes, I think that is part of the process here, to dare to do it, to put it out there. And I listed names in order to create a sense of wealth gap. But I want to say this, this piece here doesn't call for heroes. Uh, it's not to say, oh, here's the hero, here's and, – and, and those names I use only to demonstrate one thing, but I know that stereotypes clipped in. Or what if a list I gave was filled with wonderful, wonderful people who are willing to give their time under any circumstance? That may be the case. That may be the case for everybody I listed in order to create a stereotype. Daredly unfair of me. Uh, but I think going to that stereotype, we may find that neighborliness abounds. Uh, and I, I don't know that this is really about scarcity uh, of, of neighborliness. You know, there are three and one does it, you know, one, is Jesus trying to say one-third of a world is neighborly? I don't think so. I think it's meant to be something for us to look at our hearts. So I'm going to say, in the spirit of learning, and I, that I do disagree with the position that neighborliness has to do with social policy and change and reform and causes. I believe that we are called with Christian discipline to affect change where we can. And, and I'd say a tax collector in a great piece of scripture, is asked to go out and continue to do what he's doing, but do it properly. And I believe that that's not an act of neighborliness because those people are not in his field of vision. It is an act of Christian responsibility, but not neighborliness. And the reason I'm separating them is I believe this is about proximity. I believe a neighbor is in your field of vision. You can see them. You can walk to them. They are in proximity. You can focus on them, and they can focus on you. And I think that's important. I think it may lead us to policy. It may lead us to a broader community. It may lead us to those. But I, just for the sake of debate, I believe that a neighbor is someone that is in your field of vision. And the question is, do you have a field of vision or not? I believe human beings are empathetic. But empathy is no good if you don't have a sense that there's a field of vision. So I believe it's meant to narrow and not complicate. I believe if we're dismissing stereotypes with this, which if you go out into the broader world, oh, boy, it gets complicated. This is a, decom- a, a, a uncomplicating step for Jesus. This is life less complicated. This is personal, and the personal of both neighbors, the helper in this case and the one under distress, both are neighbors. But that's a different platform. That's, you know, it, and in this case, it doesn't matter who they are or how they're stereotyped. It's wiped clean. You step out to a broader world, boy, is life complicated. Should we go there? Absolutely, especially for calls. But that's a different Christian discipline. So I think there's a separation here. It's not a, a neighbor is not someone you experience in print, text, law, posting on the Internet. It's not someone in the news. It's not in podcasts. It's not – it may not even be in our neighborhood alerts that you may get on your smartphone. 
it's uh, it's not in the stories, it's not in the jur- in journalism. I think uh, neighbor is about proximity, and here's why I feel this: is there's two pieces of information here. One is uh, Jesus is a glass half empty Lord. I didn't realize that till this week. Half empty because he's half dead. He's not half alive. The translation says this man is half dead, not half alive, which for me means he cannot do things on his own. He may not be able to speak on his own. He is half dead. If you are half alive, there may be a different kind of hope, maybe even hopeless, hopeless, wretched, whatever it might be. He is half dead, and at the end, there's the word inheritance. So I believe proximity and the one-to-one of the personal matters because it's about near. check out the gospel, nearness. Reachable, feelable proximity. Christ is near. Christ, this is about the one to one. This Christ is near. It may ripple through society, whatever may happen. I don't think that's the point. Every individual matters. I think uh, for Christians, the, the engagement of the broader world matters. But this dialogue is is intensely personal. Uh, and so the prayer you'd, li- you'd leave with, at least in my interpretations, oh, pray that I may have my head up today, not to see over the horizon. We all love horizon. We love it. We have to think ahead. But that I may see now in this moment. So just a different interpretation. They all weave together. But I, that's, those are my thoughts, Bill. Thanks. Thank you, Don, and thank you, team members. And, Don, I'll hand it back to you. Thank you. Well, it's good to have everybody listening today and uh, always interested in your thoughts as uh, you speak with us speak uh, during the week. We, we appreciate your comments, uh, and we love hearing from you because we love seeing each other uh, on this podcast every week. Palmasphere Presbyterian Church is at 3501 West San Jose Street. That's in Tampa, Florida. Uh, and speaking of neighborliness, that's where the four of us met, one-to-one, face-to-face. Thank you, Palmasphere. Uh, and uh, for more information, you can go to palmacia.org. That's P-A-L-M-A-C-E-I-A dot org. And we commend that site to you every week because of the readings of Scripture, debate, disagreements, discussion groups, Sunday school classes, studies, adult learning, great sermons, outstanding music, opportunities to, commit, uh, to take communion. And you're always welcome, and we'll see you next time.